turn over to him. Let's stand for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your patience and your mercy. Thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. I pray that you will be with us today as we worship you. Help us to focus on your fullness. I pray that you'll be with Dad as he preaches. Give him a clear mind and clear thoughts. Give us open hearts to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. I'd like to pick up on some things that we find in this book. One of these books that are so full and rich, and um, it's a very different book in some ways. This is one of the very few books in the, in the Bible that really does not start out with an introduction as such. I don't know if you ever noticed that or not. We're going to be looking at the first four verses to begin with to kind of lay the foundation, the groundwork for the message this morning. I find it interesting that the the book of Hebrews has six distinct warnings that are given and I want to look at those this morning and then then close this message with more of a positive note. And then there are 14 times that the book gives specific directions of what they sh- not what they shouldn't do, but then there are 14 times that the writer says, do this, let us do this rather than being caught up in these negative things. And so, that would indicate pretty clearly that the book of Hebrews is a a positive book. And the phrase that is used, and, and you're probably familiar with this, the phrase that is used over and over again is, let us, let us, over and over again. So what I'd like to do is, I'm going to read the first four verses, and I'd like to look at these six things that the writer says, here are the things, there are warnings. These are things that we need to be aware of. And um, it sounds like some of these warnings, to me, sound like uh, some of the Old Testament, well, it's a New Testament writer and uh, he's almost giving warnings like the Old Testament writers, some of the Old Testament writers did. And so, <coughs> so as we contemplate these six things this morning, I want us to take heed to those things. I want us to be aware of that. Now, remember this is the context of the book of Hebrews is that these were, these were Jewish people that had embraced the Messiah. But somewhere along the way, there were, uh, there was a group of these people had, had decided, well, if, 
if this new and better way, if this new and better way is good, why don't we add to what we learned from the old covenant? And that'll improve this yet. But this book is written then to refute that and said, no, the, the, the strong message that comes through the whole, mess, the, whole, uh, the whole book is that, no, that it's that the old covenant was, was put in place by God in a special way. It had its special time and purpose. And now Jesus has come and He has fulfilled those things. And so now to go back is actually reversing. And it comes out very clearly in one passage here. He said it's, it's, it's negating everything that you have been taught by the apostles and the teachers. And so don't go back to those things. You are actually what you're doing is throwing out those things that you have learned through your through the um, the apostles and the pro, and and teachers that have helped you to come to this fact to embrace embrace Jesus of the new covenant and he comes out with some very very strong warnings regarding neglecting that all right verses 1 through 4 is where i'd like to begin this morning And please follow along as I read, or you may just simply listen if you know these verses by heart. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophet, by the prophets rather, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And he's setting, he's setting the thrust of this whole book, this passage, is setting the thrust of the whole book, and he's saying, God, in fulfilling what was taught and preached in the old covenant, has now be fulfilled in Christ, so we focus on Him. It's Jesus. He is the fulfillment. He is now the one that we teach and we preach, and we follow the things that He taught Himself. And that he instructed his disciples in how to speak and to teach and to preach and to live. And he's focusing on the Son. He has been appointed. He is the one that you are to adhere to. His teachings. And his teachings then were given. Jesus himself specifically gave teaching uh, to his disciples. And from there on that, that message was given forth. Now he is not saying, the writer is not saying, that God's method of giving forth his, his teachings, his, 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 his 
um, precepts given to his people under the old covenant by angels by, and by prophets. That was God's way. But now this has been fulfilled in Christ's coming. And the warnings that he is giving don't go back into. And I just want you to get the setting. And I, he's saying don't go back to the old covenant. Again, that is, that is making those things that you have been taught now of no value if you go back and adhere to the Old Covenant. And I'd like for you to look with me as we just simply take a walk through the book and just pick up on some of these things, some of these warnings that are given. And you find the first one already in chapter 2. And here he is saying, and I'd like to read the first four verses of this second chapter. Wherefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. Are these lights as bright as they can be up here? I'm just having trouble reading. I don't know why. Um, if, uh, pardon me? No, they're not. They're not bright enough. I'm just. I don't know why. See if you can. If they're up all the way. Anyhow, I'm sorry about that. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Thanks, Gail. They're up all the way, aren't they? Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. Thanks for the confirmation anyway. All right, verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels... Now, he's referring back to this message in the Old Covenant again. It's given by angels. God expected His people to adhere to that message. That was given by God Himself. And it came through God's messengers. And every transgression... And disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Are you following what it's saying here? If that message that was given to these Old Testament prophets on pain of death, if they disobeyed, God had destruction. God, God pronounced judgment upon them. He said, if the word spoken by angels, given to the prophets, if they rejected that, and there was their due and just reward was given. Now look at the contrast. What are you saying now? How shall we what? Escape. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Think of the context that this is coming from. But I'd like to apply that today. You know, we have we have the message that was given in the Old Covenant plus now the fulfillment in the New Covenant. Do you think we as God's people are more responsible than they were under the Old Covenant? How shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? That's a pretty stern warning. That was first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to His own will. He's laying this foundation. He's saying, look, 
That was so. That was a special way that God gave His original message to His people, and now the fulfillment of it has been given under the new covenant. If that was important, if that was special, how much more important and how much more responsible we are, who are now living under or in the fulfillment of all that was spoken under the old covenant. It's fulfilled in Christ. I want you to remember that phrase, and you probably do, but I want you to remember that. How shall we escape? We're not going to get away from it. We bear the responsibility of what has been given to us, handed to us through the Scriptures, from the old, fulfilled in the new, the fullness of Christ. (coughs) Given to us, and now we have our hands full. And God says, through the writer, you will not, by implication, He's saying, you neglect this. You neglect God's Word speaking. I was thinking of this. How many of you remember Brother Terry? Terry Myers. How many of you remember him? A lot of you don't. Okay. Now, he's forthright. He's a big man. What is he, six foot two or three, probably? He's not an imposing figure in that sense, but he's... But, you know... Um, the things that he will share with us. I have no idea what he'll share with us. But, to me, it's, it's, it's like the kind of thing that he shares are going to come from the Scriptures. I'm convinced of that. And so, he could say to us, I'm just telling you things that you've heard before. Now, what are you doing with that? What are you doing with what you have heard? So, we have heard, we understand, so the warning is against drifting, really. And by implication, and I did a little research of this, of what the, what actually the kind of, the context here is, what is he, what is he, what illustration is he using here? And he's actually using the illustration of, of like a ship, uh, in a, in a harbor, or actually, at least on a body of water. And, and in order to be, in order to be uh, stable and safe, this ship needed needs to have an anchor. And so, um, the phrase "lest at any time," verse one, "lest at any time we should let them slip," or if we move away or slip away from what has been taught, it's a ship that is not anchored. And it's adrift, in other words. That's what he's, what, that's the illustration he's using here. So, we are to be solidly anchored. We need to have our anchor down where it, we have, we need to have something that is solid, that is stable, that the current will not move us. And so as I, I think of that ship being anchored, There are several things that are very important. The ship is to have an anchor, and the anchor is to be used. And so, as God's people, we find find something to anchor our lives to. And He's telling these, these transition people, He said, 
anchor yourselves on Jesus Himself and His teaching, the truth that He is giving, lest you find yourself by neglect not putting that anchor down, not being rooted and grounded, you will be adrift and you will find yourself where you never intended to be. I'd like to just, just to emphasize this, I'd like for you to take your songbooks, the uh, um, Christian hymnal, and I'd like to sing this very familiar song. I'd like for you to stand and sing it together in song number 483. Just to emphasize this, this about putting our anchor down, keeping it there where it needs to be, so we don't become adrift. Anchor it in that which is solid and will not will not let us down. Sing verses 1, 3, and 4. 1, 3, and 4. Mm-hmm. Will you anchor in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong times lift and the cable strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps us strong, steadfast and sure on the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep. In the Savior's love. Verse 3. It will firmly hold in the straits of fear. When the breakers have pulled, the breath is near. Though the tempest rage and the wild winds blow, not an angry wave shall bark or blow. We have an anchor that keeps us strong, steadfast and sure, billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, rounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. When our eyes behold through the City of gold, our harbor bright, we shall anchor fast by the Father, I pray that you would help us never to lose sight of that anchor and never to let go. Thank you, Lord, that you're sure and steadfast. So, Lord, help us to remember how important that is in our lives. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Take you to chapter 3. A few things I'd like to notice by way of warning in this book. 
This chapter, verse 7, says, and I'm planning to read a number of these passages. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, what's the warning there? Harden not your heart. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation of the day of temptation in the wilderness. And I want you to catch this. It's constantly bringing up things that happened to these Jewish people. They fully understood those things. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, they tested me, saw my works for forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Hardness of heart. Go back to the story in the book of Deuteronomy, how God told Moses to take them right up to the border, sent the spies in, came back. Ten gave a negative view of this whole country. You know, they didn't view the country. Sorry, I said that wrong. They didn't have a negative view of the country. They had a negative view of themselves. They said, we can't do it. They backed away from it. God brought judgment upon them. What was the judgment that was brought upon them for not going into and conquering the land at that point? What was it? Pardon me? Okay. It was death. Forty years of death. Day after day after day. A constant reminder of their rebellion. Unbelief. God brings fierce judgment, has in the past, especially and does now as well, unbelief, doubt, doubting God's promises, failing to follow His commands. God has so many commands for us in the Scriptures. What does He expect of us? What does He expect of all that He has commanded for us in the Scriptures? Obedience. Even as He expected His people to go in and conquer the land, He said, it's yours. Go in and conquer it. I will be with you. But they rebelled against Him. They hardened their hearts. They said, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. And so they didn't. When God gives command, He expects us. He exhorts us. God's commands are never empty commands. When God commands us, He expects obedience. And so, even as He expected obedience from them, they heard, exhorted them, He expected them to take heed, He expected them to hold on to those commands that He had given to them and to follow them through to the end but they rebelled. Verses 12 to 19. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. Or the evil heart has the idea of a carnal heart. Of unbelief. Departing from the living God. So that's the warning for us today. We believe that the things that are commanded in the Scriptures and God enjoins us of what He asks of us we believe that is truth, right? You believe that. 
You believe the commands in the Scriptures are truth. They're God's Word. You believe that God expects us to follow them. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any view an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Over and over again we hear God's Word at least once a week, twice a week sometimes, and we read the Scriptures ourselves. You know, one of the best ways that we can help each other, I want you to notice verse 13, and that is to exhort one another daily, while it is called today, while we have the opportunity, we are to exhort one another. That's why we're here today. We encourage each other. We bless each other. And sometimes, and sometimes it takes strong exhortation for us to be brought back to our spiritual senses again. Exhort one another daily. Now we are to hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the where? How long? What does it say here? Steadfast unto the end. What does that mean? All the way through. We hold on to that. Never let go. So we need to exhort one another. We need to encourage one another. Lest, like the Old Testament Israelites, lest we provoke God in His wrath to bring judgment. And that can happen. I'd like for you to turn with me to chapter 4. Just several verses in chapter 4 I'd like to look at. Um, Verse 7, first, again, he limited a certain time, certain days, saying in David, today, after so long a time. And what I noticed was, and I want you to catch this as well, in chapter 3, he is talking about this hardening of heart. Now, in chapter 4, he mentions this again, verse 7. He limited a certain day, saying in David, today, After so long a time, as it is said today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart. You know how people harden their heart? How we can harden our heart? We hear the voice of God and it doesn't do anything for us. We reject that. And the more we hear it, the more we reject, the harder the heart. Rather, verse 11 then, Chapter 4. Let us labor therefore to enter and we strive. We strive to enter into that rest. And we do that so that we will not experience what these Old Testament Israelites did because they reacted to to God's teachings. They rejected it. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the Word of God is quick and powerful. I'd like for us to just simply repeat that verse together. I think probably most of you know that. All right, verse 12. For the word of God is great and And verse 13, yet I'll read that. Neither is there any creature 
that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And as God expected full, complete obedience from his people under the old covenant, much more he expects full obedience today as well. All right, I'd like for you to turn now to chapter 5, the end of chapter 5. And this portion talks about the spiritual immaturity. And I was contemplating this whole thing. What does it just mean that, does it just mean that we stay babies or are just like babies? Uh, never really able to digest things that are of deep spiritual value? Is that what he is talking about? I'd like to begin reading verse 11. Of whom, many we have, of whom we have many things to say. Hard to be understood, seeing that you're a dull of hearing. Now, I want you to remember that phrase. What does it mean to be dull of hearing? Resist. You resist what you hear. Okay? That's resistance there. Okay? For when, for the time, we ought to be teachers, we have need that one of you teach again, that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. I think he's making the contrast between the old and the new covenant. And he's saying, now you're going back to the old covenant, which is, what is he calling the old covenant? What kind of food? Baby food. It was the kind of thing, no, it met the needs in the old covenant. He's not saying it didn't. He's saying to go back to those things. And to just simply look at the old covenant and just hang on to that, that's immaturity. When you see the fulfillment, you focus on the fulfillment. Not on that which looked and pointed forward to the fulfillment. Under the old covenant, that's all they had. And he's saying that's immaturity. That's spiritual immaturity. There are things that can hinder us as well. You ever think about it? That it's easy to be satisfied spiritually with too little. You ever think about that? There are times that I have... You know, I have, I've looked at Scripture and I like to go back to the Scriptures that I really in, enjoy. You know what I'm saying? You, we, we, go back to those. We just, we just focus on that. And that's not wrong. But we need to keep going. We need to keep going on and not satisfied with so little. Too little. That's the application I'm making. But they went back to the Old Covenant. All right, verse 13. Getting kind of carried away here, and I, I want to keep going here. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age or mature, even those who by reason of use have senses, their senses exercised, to discern, important word, to discern both good and evil, following through, therefore, 
Leaving the principles, those Old Testament principles, he said, those had their place, but we leave those. The new fulfills what was in the old, and so we hang on to the new. That's where our lives are built on as God's people. Then we can go on, we can grow. But he says to be satisfied with just the least things. And so that's where I'd like to make this application today. Satisfied with too little. We want to keep going. We want to keep going on and growing. Not forgetting what we have experienced. But we build on that through the Scriptures and we go on. We don't lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, baptisms and so on. This will we do as God permits is really the how it probably should be written, as God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. And he gives a strong warning here. He says, now you who have been enlightened, go on to maturity. Hang on to those things that you have been taught now. Don't go back to those things. And he's giving a very stern warnings. He said, if you are satisfied with just going back, to the old covenant again, there is no way. You will not find salvation and repentance and a vital... And I'm putting my own words into this. You will not find a vital relationship with God. There is no other way. Sometimes that trips people up a little bit. One of these verses, especially in chapter... In chapter 6, verses 11 and... Uh, that's not the verse I was looking at. But it, it says, if we were to neglect this and we, we reject this, there is no other means of, of a relationship with God except under the new covenant through Jesus Christ. You try any other way, there is no hope in that. Look at this passage. Read that passage in that context. And young people don't let that trip you up. This to me is just simply saying, if you reject the new covenant, then there is no other way. It's through the new covenant. And sometimes that strikes fear into young people's minds. It's, oh, have, have I committed the unpardonable sin? No, that's not what he's talking about here. There is only one way. You reject that way. Look at it in its context. You reject that one way. There is no other way. And he wanted that fixed in their minds. Chapter 10. Chapter 10. Verses 26 to 31. And it says something very similar to what we noticed earlier. Verse 26. We sin willfully. After that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice. Or some of the other translations say no other sacrifice. No other sacrifice. There is, however, the total rejection of all that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Total rejection of that. There may come a time when people have no feelings of conviction anymore. That can happen. But you see, if you reject what Jesus fulfilled on the cross, all those old covenant uh, 
sacrifices are completed in the fullness of Jesus' sacrifice. And you see, you reject that sacrifice, there is only a fearful looking for of judgment. And um, verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And again, that should not that should not strike. In a sense, it should strike a holy fear into our hearts, yes. But not in the sense that we are afraid. We are afraid to live our Christian life. That we're afraid to do anything. Read it, read it in its context and let it give you some peace about that. But there is the point where we can become insensitive. You understand what I'm saying? We can become insensitive. And we need to be careful about that. Rejection and rejection after after rejection can bring us to that point. I don't want to minimize that on the other hand here. So, as God had planned this whole thing through Moses, through the Old Covenant, and then fulfilled in the New I'd like you to take. I'd like to take you to chapter twelve yet, and I'd like to like to look at the the last one. I know we're not spending much time on these, but chapter twelve, verses twenty-five to twenty-nine. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more. Shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven whose voice then shook the earth? But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and, reverence and godly fear. For our God is what? A consuming fire. And he references the account where, that, where Moses was up on the mountain and the people were down and they got into idolatrous worship and when, Moses, when God came down on that mountain where Moses was, some of the things that happened at that time that helped the people to understand how great and terrible, in one sense, how God, uh, yes, <coughs> who He is, His holiness. That mountain shook. There was fire. And it was the kind of thing that grabbed their attention. And there was boundaries put around there. This is holy. This is holy place. This is God who is holy. And anyone that went beyond that barrier, what happened? They were killed. God was so. God was wanted these people to understand His holiness and who He really is. <clears throat> now the writer is saying here. See that you refuse not him that speaketh from the mountain by implication. That was God speaking in the Old Covenant. 
Now we have Christ speaking to us through His Word. He's still saying, there is a time coming that rejection, rejection will bring judgment and it is going to be a consuming fire. Fire again. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. God speaks. He is the voice of final authority. And if we reject that voice, then we have nothing but fire ahead of us. Is that too abrupt? That's what it says. That's what it says. We need to beware. We need to take heed. We need to, in reverence and fear, fall down before Him in recognition of our total need of Him. Never reject the voice of God. It's a voice of finality. It's a voice of authority. It's a voice of truth. That voice, that voice that caused that mountain to shake, that same voice, sometime, all men will hear that voice again. And not only that mountain will shake, but everything that is shakable will be shaken. The voice of finality. This is God. God is speaking throughout this week. And yes, God uses man to speak His Word. Throughout the rest of this week, we will hear the preaching of His Word. Sometimes the preaching of His Word may be earth-shaking. Sometimes it will be maybe the kind of thing that gently is drawing us to the face of God, to renew our hearts, to bring us back into full relationship with Him. Sometimes it's a convicting voice. I'd like to close with going back to chapter 10. I'd like to look at a positive, some positive things here. Chapter 10, verse 19 through verse 24. Pardon me, verse 25. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, the next phrase, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, to come near to God as they were in the Old Covenant. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without what? Without without. Come on, everyone, without 
Yes, without wavering. Hold on, he's saying. For he is faithful that promised, right? God is faithful. He promised you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Hang on to that promise. And let us, verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I think I explained to you before already what this word provoke means. Paroxysm. It's like a convulsion. It's something we sometimes have to be jarred. Right? Come back to our spiritual senses. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But we are to exhort one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching, that final day. And it may be final just for us, but that final day. So much the more. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Don't fall into these negative traps. But rather, go on. And God bless you. Would you kneel to pray, please?